your character is shown when? It's, it's through difficulties, right? That's when we see our character. That's when we see what's really there. You know, you look at the last year and a half, right? And that's, we've all seen things in family members, friends, co-workers, roommates, ourselves. And we go, where'd that come from? Now, the difficult truth is it was always there, right? But you saw certain things differently just because there was challenges that were presenting themselves that you hadn't dealt with before. And I saw the same thing in myself. It's through stressful times, you guys, that we, we see who we really are and we see what we're really relying upon to get us through uh, life. And, and I was just, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking even like, I remember, you know, playing sports and, and as, as, as you're playing whatever sport you're playing, if the game is not going in your favor, you start to see certain teammates say, forget this, I'm done. And then you see other teammates go, let's go. Come on, guys, I believe. And, and you see individuals respond and react to that stress in, in different ways. And we've all seen that, you guys. Like, like when you think about yourself and, and the friends that you have around you, you react differently. And a lot of times, uh, how we react in those moments, it shows what's going on in our hearts, which ultimately reveals character. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, when we interview, uh, we try, I try. So if you ever interview at Eccles, I'm going to try and figure out a way to put you in a situation that will reveal your true character. Okay. There's actually a guy in this room whose name's Matt. I introduced him a couple weeks ago to our church. He's one of the new pastors here. And when he was here interviewing, I scheduled a golf outing for him. Okay. Now, did I do that just because like, oh, you love golf. Yay. Have fun. No. Bryson was there. And you know Bryson. He leads worship. He's mean. So it's like Bryson was there. We had other people on staff there. And they're getting to see him on the golf course, which how many of you have golfed? There's nothing. There's no sport ever invented that will make you more mad than golf. There just isn't. It's horrible. Like, and I like it. It's like this sick and twisted relationship where it's like one minute I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I can't wait to come back. And then the next minute I'm chucking a club into a tree and I'm like, I'm done with everything. Okay. So anyway, you try and, and, and put people in situations to where what? You can see who they really are. Right. And, and so for us, unfortunately, we see that in ourselves and in other people through difficult circumstances, through difficult trials that we walk through. The setting here that we're going to unpack is it's out of 1 Samuel. And what's going on is uh, essentially the, the Israelites were led at that point in time by different judges that, that God uh, had literally ordained and said, you're going to be a mouthpiece. You're going to be the leader of the nation of Israel. The guy that had been leading is a guy named Samuel. Okay. Now Samuel becomes very old. Okay. And, and as he is very old, he is passing on the leadership of the nation to his boys, right? It's like every guy's dream, like to hand off their organization, their business or their wealth or whatever to their kids. And, and so he's handing off the leadership of the kingdom to his kids. The only problem is his boys are horrible. 
Okay, they're ripping people off. Uh, they're lying, they're stealing, they're cheating. They're all these things and they're supposed to be leading and representing God, okay? So it's not going well. Well, what happens is the leaders uh, in these different parts of Israel, they come to Samuel and they say, listen, like your kids are awful, which is what every parent wants to hear. And they're ruining the nation. And they looked around them at the other nations and they go, they all have kings, okay? We want a king. Now, who ultimately was supposed to be Israel's king? God. But what happened is they see around them and they see, you know, all these neighboring countries and they say, man, they have kings. We need one of those. That'll solve our problem. And so they ask for a king. Now, Samuel says, you should not want a king. This is what's going to happen. And he lays out all these restrictions, all these things that a king is going to demand and all these things they have to deliver over to the king and how he's going to uh, be leading them in all these battles and everything else and how he's going to have an agenda. They're going to serve that agenda. He warns them and they still are like, nope, that's what we want. And so Samuel essentially, under God's direction, anoints this guy. And, and this is what we read about the guy he anoints, this guy named Saul. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, and it says, it's talking about his father at first. It says, and he had a son whose name was Saul. And this is how it describes Saul. A handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. I don't know why the Bible does that. We'll find out later. But he was very handsome. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So he's handsome and he's tall. Okay? Yeah, so all you girls are like, okay? Handsome, tall, he fit the profile, right? He fit the profile. He fit the profile of what they all thought the guy should look like, right? There's just certain people and roles, you guys, and we look at him and we go, yep, that makes sense. Okay, they looked the part. This guy looked the part to where as he's anointed, everybody's like, yep, that's what we were thinking. Okay, um, and uh, you know, how many of you guys have experienced that where you see somebody in a role and you go, wow, they actually look the part. You know, like, like they're literally, when you think of that job, that position, you think of them. Um, it's, it's funny because if you ever get a chance to see like, uh, whether it's an actor or a musician, uh, someone famous in real life, it's always interesting uh, to see how they actually look in real life. Because how we see them either on a screen or like in a concert or whatever, you build up this figure, right? Um, when I was living in LA, my, uh, my brother and I, we go to Laker games. And when you go to a Lakers game, it's basketball, NBA, uh, in LA, they, a lot of, a lot of celebrities would be there. Well, we would go and, and we were given these tickets that were just awesome. Like, like, it's like the court is right there. And, and so we're sitting there and all of a sudden I look down, you may not even know who this rapper is. This is going to make myself old. Do you know who T.I. is? Do you guys know who that is? Yeah. Oh, well, there's like five. Okay, for the five of you, the rest of you, get out. But T.I. was sitting right in front of me. And I was like, dude, you're so short. And I'm not that tall. Like, like but I was like, what? And, then, and so I was very, like, unimpressed with T.I. Okay, I just was. I was like, yeah, I was like cradle, you know, but little guy. And then all of a sudden, guys, now all of a sudden, Denzel Washington. 
rolls up like this. Guys, he's the real deal. <laughs> like there was no like, oh, Denzel, I can't watch another movie with Denzel. It was like, Denzel. And, and like, it was, I literally went, hey man, that's Denzel. He goes, I know. Like, and he had, he had that like strut. Like everything was like training day in real life. It was like, oh my gosh, you know? And, and I mean, we weren't bowing down and idolizing. We were close, but it was like, wow. Did you catch that wind from his jacket? You know, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, and so we were very, we, we were like Denzel, T.I. Okay, same thing happened uh, at, the, at the mall uh, in, in San Diego. Uh, we ran into, me and my wife were on a little date night. Well, we didn't have kids, so every night was a date night then. But we're walking through the mall, and all of a sudden, there's Usher. He's coming down the escalator, and I'm going up. And I'm like, Usher? And, like, and, and my wife's like, shh. And when I see him, I'm that guy. I'm like, what's up, man? Like, we should be friends, and you just don't know it yet. So, um, so I'm like, Usher, you know? And, and, and then I was like, as he got closer, I'm like, because he just, in real life, it was like T.I. again. I was like, Usher? And honestly, I was a little wounded. Like, I, I, I walked away like, man, I really had you up here. And you're not, you know? And... It was awkward. So anyway, that's a true story. Ask Lindsay. She's not here, but you can ask her. Um, we were disappointed in that. So guys, there's certain people that we see and they measure up and you go, wow. And when that person is like, wow, guess what? You're caught up in that, right? When there's other people that don't, you're like, hmm. Well, he is, here's this guy named Saul. He's, he's, he's big time. He's got all of that. So he is anointed and it's like, this is the guy. Everybody's sitting there going, this is exactly what we were talking about. How did God make this happen? He's tall. He's handsome. He's got to be successful. He's got to be brave. He's all these things. This is the guy. And, and so then um, Samuel, after he uh, literally anoints him and he's like, this is who you're going to be. Uh, he, he knows he's going to be led into this battle against this, this foe that the Israelites were always at battle, at war against called the Philistines. If you know David, Goliath, Goliath was what? A Philistine. And so he says like, hey, this is going to be going down. And he tells Saul what he's supposed to do in 1 Samuel uh, 10, 8. Okay. 1 Samuel 10, 8. It says, and, he, and this is Samuel telling Saul, he says, then go down before me to Gilgal and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Okay. So he's saying you will be anointed. All these things we're going to, you're going to go over there to Gilgal over there by the Philistines. There's all this stuff's going to go down. And he literally spells out multiple other things that are going to happen. And he says, you're going to wait. You're going to wait seven days for who? For me. Okay. So the big takeaway here is Saul, you need to wait for me. Okay, this is God's will for you. You need to wait. Instructions that are very clear. Okay, Samuel's like, I'm the judge. I'm to offer this sacrifice. But you know what this also is, you guys? It's a test. It's a test of trust, ultimately, right? What, what, are, what are you going to trust in? Are you going to wait or are you going to put your trust in yourself? And so in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, this is the setting here. So Saul is there 
and he's waiting. And, and, and this army of the Philistines has made themselves known and they're huge, they're massive, uh, they're intimidating and all of this. And, and like the nation of Israel is like, uh, you know, like this whole fighting thing is all of a sudden this new thing. And, and, and so there's the, the Philistines up there and, and Saul is there with his troops. And this is what it says. It says, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mitchmash. In fact, if you have a kid, you should name him that Mitchmash. That's gender neutral too. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Guys, the, once again, the Philistines have shown this, this, this force uh, that, that, that literally is terrifying the nation of Israel. To the point where every single day they're doing roll call for their soldiers and every day it's getting worse because what are they doing? They're fleeing. Right? They're afraid. Uh, their, their anxiety and fear is taken over. And so all these soldiers are fleeing. So they were already underdogs, right? And Saul is now the leader, the new king. And every day he's seeing more and more of his forces dwindle. More people going, uh, I'm not doing that. And leaving. And so here he is in this difficult, difficult situation of what does he do here, right? What does he do? He's waiting. He's trying to do what was asked of him. He's trying to do it the right way. And so, so it's kind of like, so how do I show that I waited, um, but, but also acknowledge God? And so that's what he does. He actually does something you and I would probably do. He what? He waits, and he, it says he waited seven days. Samuel's not here. And so, and so he's like, give me the offering. I'm going to do this. So I've waited seven days. Samuel's, you know, uh, I'm going to acknowledge God. Everything's going to be good, except what? Ultimately... He allows what he can see to override what he can't. And he performs this sacrifice without Samuel, the one who said to wait. And right after he's done with this sacrifice, Samuel appears. Right after. So here's the reality, guys. What I want to talk to you about is impatience. Impatience. Guys, impatience leads you to make decisions outside of God's will. Okay? Rarely, if ever, do you make a quick and wise decision. Okay? Like when I look at my life, and if I just put like two grids or two buckets, 
Good decisions, bad decisions. The bad decision bucket would be full of quick decisions. The good decision bucket would be full of a lot of decisions that I considered over time, that I prayed about, that I fasted about, that, that I, got, I sought wisdom with, that I, that I looked at God's word, that I, that I prayed and, and really took it before God. Like, like that's what it would look like. I know it. I don't have to start thinking down those things. I just know that's what it would look like, you guys. And for you, I don't even have to ask you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just already know that when it comes to quick decisions that you're making, rarely are they the best decisions for you. Rarely are they even right decisions. So that's what impatience does. Guys, and, and here's what we also see. Making an impatient decision, it means you don't trust God. Okay, that's essentially what we're saying. See, he made this decision because what? He saw his people scattering, right? It was a fear-based decision. It wasn't a God move. It wasn't God leading him in that. He's seen all these people abandon him, his soldiers leave him. And so in that moment, what is he operating off of? He's operating off of sight, not faith. And so he makes this decision out of fear, acting upon what he could only see. But here's also what's so dangerous about this. We'd say that his excuses were what? We would probably say they were valid. Wouldn't we? If you're him, if you're there and this is your shot, this is that big moment for you and you've got all these people looking to you for leadership and they're all telling you the same thing. Look at them, look at them. We're overwhelmed, we can't beat them. And every day when you look behind you and you're like, we gotta wait, we gotta wait. And every day you're losing more and more men, you're losing more soldiers and here you are, you're in this place and you're feeling this tension and you wanna do the right thing but man, everybody else is saying this. And, and so here you are, like, what, what do you do? Guys, honestly, I think a lot of us would do, including myself, we'd probably do what he did. Right? We would justify it. Man, so technically seven days, 24, seven days. And I got to do something because we're not going to have an army and we're going to get blasted. Okay. Every single thought there is about what I can see, what, what I can think, and it's ultimately out of fear. Guys, it's, it's scary to think, like, judging off of, like, human wisdom, he made the right leadership move. And yet, this thing he does, what does it do? What does it say? It costs him his kingdom. Guys, your impatience can cost you greatly right? Like, like it can cost you greatly. And God knows this. He knows that when you're not patient, he knows it takes you to a place that, that you shouldn't be. He knows it leads you into decisions that can cause lasting harm for you, can cause major mistakes, right? Can, can cause you to wake up uh, next to somebody in the morning and go, what just happened? Can cause you to wake up in a city with a job and go, what am I doing here? This is not at all what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought it would be. It can lead you at a school 
school that you have no business being at because you just went with the first school that accepted you and you didn't pray about it or anything. You just went, oh, God, God's got to be doing this. Or you just accepted this job or this situation. You didn't at all think about it or pray about it. You just went, I'm going to do it. And, and, and you guys, there's so many situations like that that we just go with and, and we, don't, we don't take it through any steps of, of establishing, is God even leading us in this? And so what happens? And, and guys, a lot of those decisions are based off of what? Fear, right? Ultimately, this is my one chance. This is my one shot. If I don't jump at this, so nothing else is going to happen, right? So we're not operating off of faith in that moment. We're actually, we're living in fear. And also what we're saying is, God, this is my kingdom. It's not yours. I am in charge of my kingdom. And God knows that there's that potential harm with impatience. And so over and over in scripture, we see him talk about patience. In fact, we see in Galatians, it's a fruit of the spirit. But look, I'm going to read some of these verses. Colossians 3.12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Hebrews 6.12 says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators imitators of these heroes of the faith, imitators of those who through faith and what? And patience. Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then Psalm 37, seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Okay. Stop being so concerned with everybody else and their advancement and what they're doing and the blessings that they have, the job they got, the internship they got, the school they got into. Who cares? Stop fretting over that. Stop giving your mind over that. Um, over the man, it says, who carries out evil devices. In other words, stop being consumed with the evil. Stop being concerned with all those things that are wrong. Those people doing wrong things. You're giving them authority over your life. Be patient before God and not only the decisions you have, but also in what he's doing in you. Be patient. Be patient. Guys, ultimately, once again, Saul's move indicated that it was his kingdom. It wasn't God's anymore. I'm the king. I'm in charge. Guys, that's the same thing we do. That's the same thing we say. We usually don't verbalize it because that's a pretty bold statement. If you've ever said that out loud, it's my kingdom, right? You'd probably your roommates would be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but that's what we're doing. That's what Saul's move did. Guys, it revealed a lack of trust. It revealed a lack of relationship with God. You, you know, when I have big decisions to make, you know, I don't go home and be like, honey, I got this. You know what I do? I go, honey, what are we going to know? But I bring her in on that. And I, I can't think of any major decision I've made where I, I, I wasn't like, hey, what should we do? Like, because I'm seeking that because this isn't a me decision. This is, this is us, right? Guys, what's, what's even greater about what we're talking about here is like, this is God's story, God's outcome. This is God's kingdom. And so what in the world are you doing hijacking that and saying it's mine? Not only just like with my wife, should I want to bring like, like this person in? Not only should God be brought into that decision, God should be the one directing the decision. 
That's who should be directing you in the decisions that you have. But you can only do that through faith by trusting in him, by trusting him. Guys, your patience or lack of patience, it exposes who owns the kingdom you live in. And here's what's scary about this, guys. This is why I feel like Saul's a great example for us is Saul never recovered from this. He never recovered. His whole life went downhill after this. Like, here's, here's the, the thing that you guys need to know. Because it's a very short step between a mistake and a habit. It's a very short step from, from, from you making a decision to the decisions taking hold of you. And, and so for Saul, this was the beginning essentially of the end because what happened in his life is you just see it snowball. Now I know we're in Eugene, we don't get snow, just pretend you've seen snow. And if you have the right kind of snow, you can literally take a ball and just start rolling it and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. How many of you have done that? That's great, some of you, okay? The rest of you are like, what's snow? I don't know, I'm from Southern California, okay? But... It does that, guys, and that's what decisions can do. Decisions can just snowball like that to the point where ultimately for Saul, it defined him as a leader and it defined his relationship with God and it never got right. And so you guys, uh, that's the danger that, that I want to like push you away from is if you've made a mistake, if you've taken control, that doesn't have to define you right? Like, like you can recover from that. You can get things right with God. You can make a decision there. See, Saul, and why he's a great warning for us, is he never did that. We've looked at some of the characters. We, we talked about David a few weeks ago. I talked about David. David was able to what? Acknowledge and repent and come back. Guys, not everybody unfortunately does that, and my heart is, and my prayer is this. If you have made a mistake recently, if you're sitting here and going, man, I made that decision and that decision. It was impatient. I didn't wait. Can't believe I did that. Can't believe I'm here. All these things. And you just look at a track record of mistakes. Stop. Like stop. You have a choice. That's why I love college group. Man, your, your lives are just starting. You get to draw a line in the sand right now, but like no more. It, it's not over for you. And so I want to challenge you and encourage you to take that step. And, and guys, this is not just something I see as a struggle with people who don't believe in Jesus. Okay, I'm not, if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm not singling you out as like, oh, this is all you. Guys, this is a huge problem. Impatience is a huge problem for Jesus followers. And here's why. Jesus followers have a tendency to spiritualize a lot of things that shouldn't be spiritualized. In other words, as Jesus followers, a lot of times we are looking to place answers and attach them to God when they have no business being of God yet. So, so in other words, well, I've been praying about a job and I got that job offer. That's got to be God. I've been praying about a boyfriend and he just asked me out. That's got to be God. It's got to be. Right? So we spiritualize. We'll make a decision. I, man, I applied to three schools and only one responded. That's got to be God, right? It's just got to be. 
And, and, and we don't like take that, that thought. We don't take the circumstances and go, okay, God, this is what happened. I acknowledge this. This is how I feel. Now let's, let's work through this. Let's take this through. Let's, let's spend time and pray over it. Let's get some wisdom. Let's get some counsel. Uh, some people I respect, I look up to. Let's, let's walk through this together and do this in a way that reflects trust and faith and all those things. No, a lot of the times we just spiritualize it and we just go with it. And I know so many Christians who are like, God, let me down. God, let me down this path. And I'm like, no, he didn't. You did. You just attached God to it. Stop doing that. Guys, that's impatient. That actually shows a lack of trust. You're like, but I was depending on God. No, 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 no. You were looking to put him into something and, and a circumstance just happened. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're praying for something and you're praying out loud, which a lot of you do, right? A lot of you are, God, make this happen. God, I want this to happen. And, and, and a lot of your prayer requests are geared in one direction. God is not the only one who's seeing the desires there. So is the enemy. And so if he wants to derail me, you know what he does? He's, his name is Deceiver. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to partially answer your prayer request. Just enough. Just enough to where I think it's God. So that I act impatient. And don't take it through those proper steps that I need to take it with. To make it a quality God-based decision. Right? That's, that is, that's his goal for you. And so guys, we got to be patient. we got to be careful. And being patient is not being lazy. It's, to me, being patient um, is, is, is being proactive um, when I'm being patient, because I struggle being patient. But I think sometimes for us, and we need to hear this. This may be a backward statement to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sometimes the greatest step of faith you can take is being patient. I want you to just chew on that. Sometimes the greatest step of faith you can take is being patient. Before I accepted the job to be the, the lead pastor at Ecclesia, um, there was this period of like eight months. I don't know, six to eight months. And during that time, I was adamant that I did not want the job. And if, you, if any of you had asked me, and maybe some of you asked me, and I said, what? No. I, I, was, I, was, I, I had it defined. I knew the direction. And I was like, I'll help. I'll help transition to the new guy. Well, if, if I had just closed the door completely on God and just said, this is the outcome, this is where it's going, I've already heard you spoke, I've already seen these things, this is where I'm going, guys, I would not have um, allowed him or heard him say after seven, eight months, I actually want to talk to you, Steve, about this job. Guys, it was, it, was, it was through not pushing or forcing or, or it, was, it was through being patient that, that, that God clarified. And you know what? It was the necessary time it took to get me to a place where I was ready to be obedient to what God was going to ask me to do. Guys, sometimes you haven't gotten the answer. You haven't gotten um, his approval or his uh, stamp on a decision or the direction because he's preparing you for the answer. But if you're impatient, you miss those steps and ultimately you miss out on what I'm experiencing right now, which is, man, I'm thriving. I love doing what I do most of the time, not counting COVID. And, 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 and it's like, man, I'm excited. I bought a house here. I, I have visions of my boys growing up here, like all that. Okay. 
just because we were willing to just be patient. And, 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 and guys, when you're patient, God's going to surprise you. When you're patient, he's going to give direction. When you're patient, he may shut something down that you were like, no way. Are you kidding, God? I thought, and you're going to see that it's his hand, and you're going to trust him, and he's going to do something incredible with your life as a result of that patience. Guys, be proactive, but be patient. God will bring clarity and Remember, all you need is the next step. You don't need the whole story. Okay? You just need the next step. Pray over the next step and be patient with that.